Welcome to this week's podcast from Fearless LA. For more information, check out fearlessla.com or explore the Fearless app. Thanks for listening. This is Fearless Los Angeles. still come on hey balcony how you doing on my left and my right that's awesome how you doing lower floor you doing all right would everyone just stand up to your feet real quick anybody excited about the word of God tonight I am excited about the word of God tonight we had an incredible uh, time first service and uh, God did some special things and I know he's going to do some some incredible things tonight And uh, I don't believe that this is a message. I believe that this is a prophecy over a generation, this whole series. And so this is the final night of This Is Our Time. Then we have Pastor Russell will be here next week. So somebody say, Pastor Russell will be here. And uh, he is the the founding man, father of Planet Shakers. And uh, and so we're excited about him being here. Uh, He has sowed so much into the DNA and the fabric of who we are as a church, and will continue to do so. And so we're excited. He's coming. Invite everyone you know. Uh, He has a powerful anointing, and you're definitely going to want to be here. Uh, And then the week after, we are having church on on top of like a 14th floor of a building uh, in downtown. We we actually can't have this place that night, but we found a sick venue that we're going to be on the top of a building that overlooks all of L.A. And Pastor Neil Smith is going to be here. You won't want to miss that. And then after that, I'm starting a new series called Paradigm Shift. Somebody say Paradigm Shift. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, you're about to shift. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that. You're not going to want to miss that. And uh, there are some exciting things happening uh, in our midst. Uh, just last week, this whole place was packed. And I've already been there in my visions. I've seen this whole place packed. And it's just stretching us to be able to handle that. Soon you will have trouble finding a seat at this service. I'm telling you, soon you'll have trouble finding a seat, and uh, we'll have to go to a 7 p.m. As soon as these chairs get full all the way around, we are starting a 7 p.m. service. Hopefully the club's okay with that. And then as soon as that service is filled, we are starting a 9 p.m. DJ-only worship service. I have this vision from God that we're going to do that, invite other churches, no chairs, just the dance floor. Amen? And so these are some ideas that God is brewing, but for now... This is the last sermon called This Is Our Time. Won't you touch your neighbor next to you and say, neighbor, we're about to get all the way turned up. Because this is our time. This is our time. Touch your other neighbor that you just rejected. Say, other neighbor, you are good looking too. <laughs> you know David's single up here, right, by the way? He's a good, good looking man up here. I like David. He's a good guy. Anybody like David too? You think he's awesome? Say, neighbor, this is not my time. This is our time. There's a difference. It takes two to tango. Yeah, this is our time. This is not just one person's time. This is gone of the days of the Christian superstar. There is one superstar we are inducing to this world, and his name is Jesus. And the only way we can do that if we come together, right? Church has been divided for too long, man. We've all been hurt by divided church. 
It's time we partner with each other and believe in each other and stop putting down each other, right? And we don't attend church because church is not a corporation. It's a family. We're a part of church. Look, touch your neighbor, wiggle next to him and say, neighbor, you're a part of this. This is our time. I want you to grab the hand of your neighbor on the left and right. And and I do need to tell you this, this time that I'm talking about. Uh, This season, if you've missed the last couple of messages, you need to go get them. They're on our podcast. We've had over 12,000 people tune in to our podcast. And I won't talk long because you are holding your sweaty neighbor's hand, and that's okay. But I want to tell you, if your neighbor is not healed, you cannot get to the God-given vision in your life. If we are the body, if we truly are the body, and if we truly are family... If one family member chooses to run the other way, it affects the entire family. If one part of the body chooses to remain sick or hurt or wounded, that affects the entire body. I could have a pro athlete up here and I kick him in the shin as hard as I can. And his shin decides I will never get healed. I don't want to get healed. I don't want to go through uh, being, going through the motions of trying to stretch it out or move it out. I just don't want to. I quit. Then that pro athlete, the rest of his body suffers because of the shin. Okay? So, so look, you are a part of this and not anybody is left out. So grab your neighbor. Like really mean it. Say, neighbor, I need you to catch this message. Look, neighbor, you can't sit in insecurity anymore. You cannot sit in fear anymore of what man said about you. I know big things happen in your life that have moved you backwards, but we're all about to go forward together. Amen? So here's what we're going to do, okay? So, So I'm not a preacher, okay? I'm dropping off a package today called a prophecy. And a prophecy is not about what you can see, it's about what you can't see and what heaven sees over you. And so this is not a sermon, this is a prophecy to the world changers that have been sent to L.A. to change things, okay? We are a part of a much bigger family outside these doors. Please don't think for one second that I don't believe we have a lot more relatives out here in other churches all over the city. We're just the crazy cousins over here in the nightclub, okay? So touch your neighbor and say, you're the crazy cousin, neighbor. You're the, you're the crazy cousin, man. You're crazy, man. We, we, we worried when you come to Thanksgiving, but we're, we're excited you're here, right? And now here's what we're going to do. Before we start this, we're going to pray for our neighbor that God would open their heart and prepare it. Some of you in this room may not even believe in God. That's okay. He believes in you. And he's not scared that you don't believe in him. Right? And so right now, we're going to pray for our neighbor like we want, we've wanted someone to believe in us. Okay? So I want you to close your eyes. And a, and, a, and a prayer can simply be as simple as Jesus help. Help them, God. Help them grow to who they're supposed to be. That this word would be planted so deep inside their heart that they leave totally different than when they came in. We're going to go right now. I'm going to pray, but I want you to pray with me. I want you to agree with me. Jesus, I pray right now. Lord, I pray every person under the sound of my voice, including the sound man and the lighting director and everybody on this stage, including myself, God, I pray right now, Jesus, your Holy Spirit, the wind of your love and power will begin to sweep through this place. And Lord, we would not have normal encounters with you tonight, but God, you would go deep 
into our spirit and you would begin to heal people that have really been hurt by life, God. That you would begin to lift people back up, God. You would... You would, you would give them wings, God, that they could soar on, God. It would be greater than anything they've ever experienced. We pray for fear to be broken off now in the name of Jesus, for insecurity and worry and unbelief now in the name of Jesus. And I call a mighty army to rise up in this room in Jesus' mighty name. And somebody that believes that said amen. Amen. You can slap your neighbor a high five or slap them on the back or kiss them on the cheek or whatever and say, neighbor, this is our time. I'm so excited about this last night. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Somebody say 3.11. It was a great band. Now it's a great scripture. Ecclesiastes 3.11. We have a giant uh, Bible up on the screens if you don't have one. It says this, he, somebody say he, has made everything beautiful in its time. Somebody say time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom, underline that, highlight it, circle it, what God has done, underline it, highlight it, circle it, somebody say done, Somebody say finished. Somebody say over. They cannot fathom or imagine or dream up what God has already finished and completed from beginning to end. See, our entire life, most of us try to figure out God and why he would use certain people and why certain people he seems to have forgotten about. And some of us at times feel forgotten about God. But I came to drop a prophecy package off to you today to tell you your life is already done. We just got to get undone to find out what he dreamed of when he designed us and planned us. And man cannot fathom it, so stop trying to figure it out. Yeah, this is like your cell phone, man. No one in this room when you got your first cell phone. Well, if you did, you're, you're just strange, you know? Took your entire phone apart, figured out and calculated how the, cell, the cellular towers and how many of them had to ping off each other to send your first text message. What'd you do? You just opened it up, typed it out, right? If you got one of those Samsungs, you did this, right? And you just tested it. And because it worked, you didn't really have time to worry about how it worked, right? Now, this God is not like a cell phone, like he's much bigger and much more complicated and much his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. You are not going to be able to figure out what he has done from beginning to end. And most of all, because he doesn't do things from beginning to end. He does things from end to beginning. Yeah, yeah, you were predestined. Before time began, before the clock started ticking, before there was a one o'clock or a two o'clock, before the sun started shining, you were predestined. God had pre-planned a destiny for you. He took a picture of the end and sent you all the way back to the beginning to find out who you are. The only thing I could describe that I found in this place is this thing of pancake mix. There is a picture of amazing, delicious, Aunt Jemima butter pancakes on the front of this picture. 
Yet if you want to eat them, we have to go all the way back to the beginning. And if you open the package, you'll find what happened to my pancakes. And most people are living with this, asking God, why did you tell me about this? And then this is what I have. It looks nothing like it. I, I don't understand. God, I can't figure it out, God. And what you don't realize is God took a picture of the end and sent you all the way back to the beginning. And here's the good news. He put the instructions in the book on how to get finished and how to put the parts together. Let me tell you this, though. There is eggs inside of one person and milk inside of another and some bisquick inside of another. And for all this to work out, the picture he's given you, you need others. I need you to be healed and a part of this. And in the proper time, this will come to pass. And the world, all of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, the Bible says. For us to be completed. For us to look like the end. But we're still struggling to try to figure it out. Instead, God's calling a generation. Stop worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. There was a guy in the service this morning, and he was wearing a t-shirt. And I, and I think this t-shirt best describes what I'm trying to say. Look at this picture of this man's t-shirt. It says this, studies have proven that death is certain, but life is not. Every person in here will one day die. I hate to tell you that. I don't mean to be morbid. You will either die young or live to be old and die then. You either get big ears and a big nose. You might have a cane or a walker. Your mohawk might turn into a hairpiece. We all will either die young or live to be old and die then. It is certain. But it is not certain that everyone that lives will actually live. What if we caught? This is my time to live, not to just be alive, to actually live, to suck the life out of the time I have left. And as long as you're looking over your shoulder backwards, you're going to have a hard time of living the destiny God has called you to be in because you will always judge these things around you by what you walked through in the past. We have to let go of those things behind us, forget about the things behind us, and press on to what is ahead of us so we can complete the picture to what God has. God is wanting, he's desiring to reveal to a world that he is alive and he is well. But to get there, we're going to have to let go of what man thinks and what people say. And fear and insecurity and depression. We're going to have to let go of these things that we feel like are us. Some of us, we say it's our personality, but the person that Jesus made might even look different if you got free of fear. I've known people that we thought they were shy until fear left their life. I'm not saying every shy person is just afraid. But I will walk into crowds and shut down because of my fear. But now you would probably laugh if you heard that about me. Like, I can't picture Pastor Jeremy being quiet. We can't get him to shut up. But I was. Because there was chains around my mouth and my heart and my mind 
with things called fear. And we have to let go to grab a hold. I need you to grab a hold. I can't do this by myself. I'm just the egg. I need every other part to jump in the bowl with me and let go of what they thought they were and grab a hold of on to what he called you to be. And I pray that your past, your present, and what the devil has spoken into your future won't rob you from what God wants to do right here, right now. One of the characters we've been talking about, his name is Gideon. If you have your Bibles, it says in Judges chapter 6, verse number 1, it lays out the story of Gideon. And the, the title of this book is called Judges because Gideon was one of God's judges. He didn't realize it. He didn't know it. He was afraid. He was intimidated. But a judge has been sent to bring justice to the hurting and the broken. And I believe that there are judges in this room not sent to judge others, but to judge based on the kingdom of heaven, bringing it to earth in Los Angeles, California. Just like Gideon, the devil has worked overtime to shut your mouth, take off your robe, and disarm your authority. Gideon was a champion, but he didn't know it. The Bible says this in Gideon, in Gideon, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse number 1. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now watch what, what they did. It wasn't that they went around and joined in something, but this is evil in the eyes of the Lord. For seven years, because of this, he gave them into the hands of of their enemy, or the Midianites, or we could put in their fear, or, uh, or, or depression, or have you ever felt like you've almost been given into the hands of something that had you? And because of the power of oppression, of fear, of the Midianites, it was so oppressive that the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountains, in the clefts, in the caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, or, or we could say the fear, the depression, the worry, the doubt, the other eastern people invaded the country and they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way back to Gaza. Literally, all fear has to do is camp on your land to destroy your dreams. Whenever the people of God planted their dreams, their hopes, their, 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 their passions, their the, the, the fear, the insecurity, the doubt, all it would do is camp on where God called you to flourish. And if you allow it to camp, it destroys. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord because they simply allowed it to stay. This is a challenge to the people of God. Fear will always be there. No, it's not supposed to be. There's a generation that needs to look at fear of your past, fear of your present, fear of your future, and say, look, you've camped on my land long enough. I feel like putting some dreams right here. Uh, you, you've camped in my destiny for long enough. I don't feel like being afraid of man anymore. For what can man do to me? God's already done more in me than you could ever think about me. I need you to leave this soil. Look, this is good soil. The dirt and the pain of my 
Pat, no, no. I want to put, I want to put a rose bush here. I want to, I, I, and I'm going to prove to you that even, even in the thorns, I'm going to have beauty. I'm, I'm going to put something right here where they used to say, "Look, I'm, I'm going to be like Deanna. I'm, I'm going to shout my testimony." She just did her testimony on national TV. I'm, I'm not going to be afraid to talk about what I went through. Look, I'm not nervous that you know I used to sell drugs or do this or do that. Why? Well, it just tells you everywhere I looked to find what I found now. And I found something now that, th- that changed this, and I'm okay with it. And I, but I'm just going to ask you fear to leave this place because there is something far better. And he's going to trade my ashes for beauty. In the place of manure, I'm going to plant some seeds. And although I can't see what they're going to do yet, he's already given me a picture of the end of the package. And it's just a matter of time, baby, because this is our time. I just went to a conference called the Remnant Conference. I didn't know what that was, so I looked it up. The Bible talks about in the last days there will be a remnant that will rise. I didn't understand what that was, but I started studying. And what that wording was, was the end of the fabric on the roll of fabric. You could not make a jacket out of it or a blanket or anything. It's almost like this, like just to help you understand the end of the roll of the toilet paper. You know what I'm saying? That part that kind of sticks to it and it's no good. It's halfway good. It's not all the way good. Or if you're a parent, the, the, the wipey that's kind of stuck out and it's halfway dry and halfway wet. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the, the throwaway. Most people would throw it away. But there was one creative guy that figured out that there is even something you can do with the remnant. And we are the remnant. We're the end of the roll. We're the last of the barrel. And maybe by myself, you can't make something beautiful with me by myself. But what the man did is he took other pieces of remnant from different colors and he stitched it together to create something he could not create alone. Look, can I tell you this? We are misfits. We're left out. We're the nobodies, man. We're the underdogs. But God is taking the nobodies, the nothings, the misfits, and he's putting them into his body. He calls you his masterpiece. And here's why. Because I was just a piece. But he put me into the master. And when I got into the master, something changed. Because no one ain't looking at me anymore. They're looking at the face of Jesus that is in me. You might be a leftover, a no good, a worthless, a throwaway to the rest of the world. But to Jesus, you're the exact thing he sent to this earth to change the game. Because when I see what somebody can do with the remnant, I see the eye of someone who's creative. See, your God is creative. He likes to take less and do more with it. He doesn't want to use weapons to defeat an army. He wants to use a jawbone of a stinking donkey. Doesn't want to use Solomon to take out Goliath. He wants to use David that brought his lunch to his brothers with a little pebble. Why? Because he's creative. You see, you have to understand something. That at the end of the day, God doesn't want you to get credit. He wants to take the credit. Right? Not because he's egotistical, but he knows that the end of you is you. I hate when people say, you saved me. I'm like, no, no, please don't say that. At the end of you, when we get to heaven, I got no chips for you, baby. I got nothing. I got, but it was his blood that saved you. He used my mouth, but he could have used any mouth, but he chose mine because he's creative. The mouth that used to be afraid, he chose to preach his gospel. You see, we get in trouble in church because we use people that have the gifts. 
oh, that's the guy that should be preaching. No, 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 it's not that guy. It's the guy that's sitting in the corner hiding right now. Right? We picked the wrong people for the job. You see, y'all wouldn't have picked me in high school. Because I was the guy in the back of the classroom that couldn't do it. Couldn't talk about anything in front of anybody. Why? Because I had fear, insecurity. But that was the devil's assignment against my life. The devil should start tipping some of y'all off. Because, see, you don't work overtime to destroy something that has no power. He's been working overtime on the remnant, on the misfits. Look, can I, you have to understand this. You do not, in my backyard, I, my wife goes, honey, there's some weeds out there. I get on the phone. I call a big construction crew. I get a wrecking ball. I get a tractor. I get 100 crew men. What, she goes, she, she, uh, she looks out. It's like, uh, you know, home improvement. I'm like, this is crazy. All right, cut the tape. Here we go. Right? That wouldn't happen. If it did, my wife would think, hey, have you, like, you lost your marbles, right? I said, there's a weed in the back. But you've got a wrecking ball, a whole crew of men. So you don't take out a weed with a wrecking ball. But some of you think that you are a weed. Yet the devil should tip you off that he sent wrecking balls and tractors and thousands of people to put you down and destroy you. But here's the victory. You're still here. After all he sinned against you, after all those lies and all that past and all that abuse and all that pain and all those... After all those late nights, over and over, the ball again and again, you're still here. You know what that tells me? You're not a weed in the kingdom of heaven. I can't, I can't go too deep on that. We gotta. Here's, here's, here's Gideon. God says you've done evil in the eyes of the Lord because you've allowed fear to stay. And it's ruined all the crops. He said, look, I put you in this land and given you freedom. I've given you, I've, I've redeemed you, but I'm still trying to restore you. Because he was redeemed from sin, but his brain and his mind had not been restored to realize who he was. He lived in the promised land, but his past, his present, and his future surrounded him. And the Bible ends up telling us that it was Gideon who was hiding in a wine press, stuck, living in freedom, yet bound in chains of what they said, what they thought, what they labeled him as. And there is so many of us who are living in the freedom of salvation. We can see it. We know Jesus forgave us. We know he loves us. We can see it all over the Bible. I mean, John 3, 16, all of us know it. But do we know it? He loves you, but not me. It says he was threshing wheat. It's not something you did in a wine press. It was the wrong place. We have pictures of what a wine press would have looked like. A wine press was you would put grapes in. 
and you would get up and you would trot on the grapes. That's what the wine press was for. But because of fear, because of insecurity, Gideon thought, if I'm out here doing wheat in the promised land, somebody's going to take me out. If I'm out here living out my dreams, if I'm out here going after God, people are going to put me down. If I worship, if I give, what are they going to say about me? So Gideon still dreamed, just safe, just hiding, just bound. See, God didn't leave him there, though. He showed up to Gideon while he was hiding and spoke about things he would do that even if Gideon tried to fathom it, he wouldn't have been able to figure it out. The Bible says this. Then an angel of the Lord showed up and sat under an oak tree, verse number 11, near Oprah. No, Oprah. Just kidding. And they belonged to Joash the Abarite, where the son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty Lord's with you. I know you feel like a failure, loser. The Lord's with you, tough guy. The Lord's with you, big man. The Lord's with you, least of the least, lowest of the low. The Lord's with you, last picked. The Lord's with you, mighty warrior, which meant destroyer. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You see, God will speak things over you. That it's almost like an oxymoron. He will say things about you that you got to like check. Like I think he got like there's got to be a lot of Jeremy Johnsons. I think you missed. God, do you know I grew up in a town of 10,000 people, right? And most of them were cows. You, you know that, right? And you know uh, th- there, was, there was no Starbucks even in our town. Now you calling me uh, to, 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 you know, I used to drive a truck, you know, big truck, uh, country. You know what I'm saying? And you calling me to L.A.? Wrong, you, you got the wrong guy. Like, I'm country, baby, not, not city. I, see, God will speak things about you that if I were to bring people around you, even your closest friends, they wouldn't actually believe it after he said it. So here's the deal. Why are you still trying to collect opinions or pull people's opinions like you're running for election on what God has spoken about you? The more people you talk to, the more you're going to run from what you're called to. Right? Because they can't see it. But he can. He will say things about you that it's like it's crazy talk. But you know it. Deep inside, you're like, yeah. But I can't. I don't want to tell anyone. I, 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 I kind of agree with you. I feel it deep inside. When God speaks, man, over your life, he, he will give you this passion to run to it, and you want to run away at the same time. Right? You want to talk about it. You want to shut your mouth. Like, I can't say any of it. Like, I shouldn't even talk. When the, when the call of God comes in your life, it, it, won't be, it won't be like this great day for most of us. It will be actually more horrific than, than you thought it was terrific. 
It's, it's going to be a bad day for most of us because he's going to speak from heaven's perspective, not what we thought should happen or, or we thought should do. Taylor, if God would have came in and said, you're going to do what you do today when you couldn't even talk in my car when you were a junior higher, you would have not believed him and you would have said, I must stay away from that, Pastor Jeremy, as long as I can. Because God will speak things about you, not from your perspective, but from his. And he looks at Gideon. While he's hiding from his enemies. And he said, Gideon, mighty warrior. Not only are you hiding, but I'm actually going to use you to destroy who you're hiding from. Gideon, as soon as God says this, after he says mighty warrior, Gideon is trying to distract God with what we love to do. Verse 13, he says, but sir, doesn't know who God is, but sir. Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this injustice happened to us? God, where were you when? If you're really with me, why do I have this and this and a little bit of this? Where were you when this happened? God, you're with us and you love L.A. What about Skid Row? What about the hurt outside these walls? What about the hurt inside these walls? He says that to God. That's boldness. So where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? What about, they used to talk about church like it was awesome. Where's that? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now, it feels like the Lord's abandoned us. You ever just felt like God, like is God even here? He's put us into the hands. He's just given us over into fear. And we're hiding. Then the Lord turned to him and said this. Go in strength. You have. Go. Gideon's complaining about God not going. And God says, oh, you missed it. Yeah, you thought I was going to do it? No, no, no. You're going to do it. He said, haven't? Am I not sending you? What about Skid Row, God? I don't know how to change that. Go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? Isn't there a reason you're frustrated by that? Look, whatever you're frustrated with, you're called to change. God, when are you going to do it? When is Hollywood going to be changed? When is the culture going to be shifted? When is USC going to find Christ? When, when is Skid Row going to be changed? When are homeless people going to find the love of Jesus? When are my friends, my family? Go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? tells me two things. Number one, God is sending you. Whatever you're frustrated by, whatever you're irritated by, you, not somebody else, you are called to do it. Stop waiting for God. Look, can I tell you this? God has already done everything he's going to do. He came down through 42 generations, died on a cross, after three days rose again, gave us the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He didn't keep them. He gave them to you and I. Go in the strength you have. Am I not sending you? Look in the mirror. But I don't have it all figured out. Go with what you got. What do I got? I don't got much. Moses, go with what you got. What do you got? I got a stick. Okay, that will work. David, go with what you got. What do you got? I got a slingshot. Okay, that will work. Go with what you got. What do you got? 
What do you got in your hands that you keep throwing away like it's nothing? What do you got in your hands that you keep asking God, would you give me more? He said, I already gave you all you need. I'm a creative God, and at the end of it, I'm going to get credit because I use something that nobody else can use, and it's in your hands. You see, you don't, you don't promote anybody to the next level that isn't great on the level they're on. Right? Why would you do that? Starbucks, oh, man, you are a horrible worker, but we are promoting you, baby. Manager shift. You can't take out the trash. You show up late all the time. We're promoting your booty right now. Get up here. You're going to be the manager of this thing. Right? You don't promote anybody who isn't great on their level. So why would we keep waiting for God to promote us? When we haven't been excellent on the level that we're on. Look, I, I praise God when I get to go preach the thousands. But the only reason why I get to preach the thousands, because I was willing to preach the one. I praise God for small sermons with nobody saying amen. Because it was those moments that opened the doors that no man can open and no man can shut. Be great on your level. Do something with what you got. Go in the strength you have. You say, I can't change all of Skid Row. You can make a peanut butter jelly sandwich and take it out to one dude out there and bless the Lord with what you got. Right? Amen. Come on, somebody. Do I have anybody in here that catches this is our time? Not next week, not next year. Right now. I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting, but that's okay. We'll keep going. Go with me, mighty warrior. The Gideons replied, Lord, oh man, I don't know how to do this. Lord, I, I'm the weakest in my clan. Isn't there somebody else? The Lord answered, I will be with you. And together... We're going to strike down whatever comes against you. This is our promise. Go with what you got. When God called me to senior pastor at church or lead pastor, I had no clue how to do any of this. Still am learning every day. But you know what God spoke to me? Go with what you got, and I'll teach you what you don't. And every day... That's, that's the power, because what happens is now, at the end of the day, you're not like, wow, I am so cool. You're like, dude, this journey has humbled me, has driven me to the altar over and over and over and over again. And we're waiting in this pit for the resources and the stuff and the things to do what we think God needs to do outside this pit. But God will never come in and give you the stuff. He's going to come in and give you the strategy. It's different. Because what I didn't realize is that God, Jesus, he wasn't a carpenter. I've always preached he's a carpenter. Build me a cabinet, Jesus, right? He wasn't a carpenter. The Bible never said that. He was what? The carpenter's son. I believe that Jesus is not a carpenter. He's an architect. Before he'll ever give you the stuff. You see, when Moses needed to build the tabernacle, God didn't give him bricks and gold and wood and silver to build it. He gave him a blueprint. He gave him a plan that with that plan, he would find out that there was stuff in his land, stuff around him that he had no idea that it could be used to do what God was about to do. But because he had the blueprint, look, 
this lets me know that a whole generation, people will come up to me all the time and say, man, I want to plant a church. Would you tell me how, like, how, where, where do I begin? I say, bro, you probably don't want to ask me, right? Because, because you are going to build what I built, and it's not going to be what God called you to build. So you, look, we, we need to catch. We don't need one more counseling meeting. We don't need one more book, 10-step process to our destiny to read. We need, to, we need to get back like the old church. You know what I'm saying? Like where they used to have church. They say, look, I can't help you out of this, but I do know I don't have the resources. I don't have this, the wisdom. I don't even have the, the ingenuity to help you out of this pit you're in. But I can tell you one thing. I know the master architect. And if you will go get on your knees, shut your doors, and ask no one else their opinion, he will start downloading to you strategy to do what you cannot do look at Jesus everywhere he went he was just following the strategy of the blueprint that was set before him I have pre-planned predestined yeah the Bible says if the Lord does not build the house those who labor labor in vain so I always try to figure that out because is it saying not to labor not to work because this thing is a lot of work this thing called destiny is a lot of work. And some people are like, I'm just, man, I'm just, I'm just floating in Jesus. I'm just, I'm just, I just got a Holy Spirit bong and I'm just taking it. I'm just, I'm just chilling out. I'm just, I'm just good, man. I'm just, I'm just, I'm sifting through the, I don't need to do anything. And then Paul says, faith without works is dead. So, so what, so, so how does this work? If God doesn't build it, those who labor, labor in vain, what he's talking about, if you build what God didn't design in the blueprint, your building is in vain because it will not stand the test of time. If I only build what I have an idea to build or what you said I should build or what he said I should build, at the end of the day, God's going to go, that was okay, but look at the skyscraper. You built with Legos, but I was about to do something crazy. You built with that guy because you saw his talent. But I wanted you to build with that guy because I was going to get glory that you couldn't see. Instead of going to the idea, we need to start going to the blueprint. What does the blueprint say? I don't want to build anything you didn't call me to build. I've learned now I don't want to speak anywhere or go to any conference or be anywhere God doesn't want me to be. Why? Because I'm in vain laboring. I'm wasting time. I'm burning myself out. I don't want to be anywhere. I don't want to hang out with anybody. I want to get the blueprint of what my father is saying. I want him to download to me. That's why we got to catch. This is an assignment. It has your name on it. No one else can fulfill this. And no one else can tell you how to fulfill it. Only God. That will mess up our average normal Christianity because we're going to have to spend some time with him. We're going to have to waste, not waste, but we're going to have to pour out our time on the master, designer, creator of the universe. Because God gets into Gideon and says, I'm not going to give you the stuff. In fact, you're going to be the same scared, depressed person when you get out of this pit. I've just called you mighty warrior. But that's what it says in my blueprint. So if you want to get out, I'm going to give you the strategy. There's a whole generation that stops, needs to worrying about, God, would you give me this? Can you give me more money? Can you give me more popularity? There needs to be a generation that takes the check they have. 
God, I only got $100 this week. I don't even know how to pay bills and how to do everything you've called me to do with this. But can you give me, I don't need you to give me more. I just need you to give me the strategy to what I have. Can you show me how to spend this and how to use this? And all of a sudden he starts downloading things. Okay, give the first part of it in the offering. You're like, no, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a good idea. I'll just take that back. Thank you. Or he says, look, I, w- I want your whole life. I just got this little life. I want everything. You mean, you mean everything? I want to give my life to you, Jesus. You mean everything? No, no I, don't, I don't know if that's a good strategy. I, I, like, I kind of like my stuff. I like my things. I like my way of thinking. I like, and we miss out on living. And we die while we live. You were born for more. But you weren't born to do it alone. So Gideon, the first part of his strategy that God starts getting him is who he's going to do it with. Mighty warrior, you're going to change the game. Go with the power you have. Ain't I sending you, but I'm also sending you with the whole crew, baby. And it gathers all the people that are there. And the Bible says that there are 32,000 men that are going to go with him to fight. And Gideon gets all the warriors together, and he does his 300 speech. He rides on his William Wallace horse, and they're all pumped up and excited. And then God pulls him to the side and says, hey, let me give you a little more on the blueprint. Um, You can't take all these people. Well, wait, there's not even enough to defeat them. They they actually have more. This is just a small band of brothers compared to what they know. You still have too many. Because you're still relying on flesh, Gideon. And at the end of the day... When you get done, you're going to think, well, we, we kind of did it with flesh and God. We kind of, we, we needed money and Jesus. We needed resources and Jesus. No, I want you to get down so low that the only thing you could qualify this is, is that I did it. So he said, come back, and here's, you're going to cut this down. See, God, God will actually probably won't give you more. He'll probably cut you back. You got a key in your pocket. I want to tell you this. Every time you look at your key, you're going to remember this. Your key does not open your door because of what was added to it. It opens doors because of what was cut away. And maybe some things that God's cutting off of you is God pruning you. And maybe he's just cutting dead weight off of you. And maybe he's about to cut all the suckers off your life. The things that are sucking the life out of where you're going. And he's cutting out things out of you so your life will actually unlock doors that no man can unlock. And he says, Gideon, I want you to go to the 32,000 that you think you need. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to stand up and you're going to ask, is anybody afraid? And he said, anybody that raises their hand, tell them to go back. Everybody's afraid. So he gets up. He says, if anybody's afraid, God wants you to go back. And the Bible says that 22,000 of the 32,000 leave. All right, cool, man. Good luck. We're scared. And God cuts the suckers out. Because fear is contagious. And Gideon, where you're going, you don't need anybody that's afraid. Can I tell you this? You need to get rid of counselors and people in your life that operate out of fear with their voice and their opinion. I've learned that in planting this church. Every time we would get an offering for $300 and the club would cost $6,000. And I would call certain people in my life 
I can tell you now who was operating out of fear when they spoke and who was operating out of faith when they spoke. Because the fear people said, yeah, I mean, I thought, I didn't think it would work. Um, you probably should go somewhere else. You probably should go to the suburbs where people would give more money. You probably should get a, more adults, not young adults. I mean, you, you make the music too loud, the lights too crazy. Stop following the blueprint and it will work. And the people of faith would always lead me back to the blueprint. What, uh, that's cool, but what does the blueprint say? Did God tell you to do that? Then go ahead and keep rocking it, baby. You see, you need people like that in your life. You need people that aren't playing phone tag with fear when they give you advice. And those people will always cut you down and lead you backwards to the real destiny God has called you to. Best friends, family, people. You need to shut down their voices. Be cordial. Be, I'm not talking about being mean. I'm just talking about you're not going to help guide where I'm going. You can't go with me. You can't take everybody with you, baby. you got to leave some people behind to get to where God's calling you to. Look at the cross. There were thousands that followed Jesus everywhere, but at the cross, there were three. Because the rest of them were afraid. They would have tried to pull them down. No, no, you can't. And then he says this. You still got too many. He goes, here's what I want you to do. Uh, you, got, you got like 10,000? Cool. That's too many. I want you to take all your homies down to the lake, the creek. I want you to take them down. To, they're all thirsty. I want you to take them down to drink. And here's what you're going to do. I'm going to use you to set the people free, but we're going to cut some people out of your life. He said, I want you to look and watch as everybody goes down to drink. And he said, anybody that sticks their entire head anybody that sticks their entire being into their thirst anybody that fulfills their passions without keeping eyes on where I'm calling them to go I, I, want, you to, I want you to cut those people out and I want you only to take with you the people that bend down pick up the passion and the thing that they're chasing but keep their eyes on where they're going I want you only to keep people in your life that, yes, have to live life, yes, have to get by, yes, have dreams, but there is a greater dream that they're called to together that isn't momentary, isn't, isn't, isn't filling with pleasure for the moment. I want you to keep people with you that can pick up what they need and keep going with where they're going. You see, the people that put their entire wealth and worth into everything they are will eventually turn on you. They will be a Judas to you because the only reason they're with you is to get what they can get from you. God cuts those people off. He said, I also want you to get people that aren't afraid to get down low. Pinned down. They aren't afraid to be humble. I want you to get rid of anybody who sticks their head all the I don't want anyone in your life that has a downward vision. I want people in your life to have an upward vision. And he's down to 300 men. Sounds like a great title for a movie. 300. And then God says to Gideon, he says, hey. You know, before I go any further, I want to tell you this. I've learned when I look back over my life and all the doors that God has closed... 
I used to get really upset by closed doors, by people that have rejected me. But now, I can look back and I can praise God for some of the doors that I would have walked through, some of the relationships I would have entertained that He literally closed on me. God is looking for a generation, not just to praise Him for open doors, but to praise Him when He shuts doors, when He takes people away and says, look, I'm going to give you less with more. And he says to Gideon, he says, we're going to go down. Tonight, I will give you the Midianites into your hands. He said, but if you're still afraid, then I'm going to give you another strategy to conquer that. And, and, I, and when I read that, I thought, that's strange. God just sent 22,000 people home for being afraid. Yet when God gives the card to Gideon, hey, mighty warrior, if you're still afraid, I'll give it to you tonight. But if you're still afraid, I'll give you one more thing to do. Gideon takes it. Why? Because he's still afraid. And I sat on that. And I thought, God, are you kidding me? Like the leader is still afraid? But you cut 22,000 people out of his life that struggle with fear? And then I started realizing things about my own life. That sometimes when I come up here to preach, step out to believe in great faith, I can come roar like a lion here, but sometimes I'm weeping like a lamb at home. But it's those moments that draw me closer to Jesus. Man, I'm not talking about nice prayers like, oh, Heavenly Father, this is an awesome day. How would I be? You know, your name, man, you are so magnified and glorified. No, I'm talking about real prayers that you started praying because you were deathly afraid of what God called you to do. But I realized something about myself. There was a long time ago he gave me a greater fear of running away than of running in. And the call on Gideon's life, the call on your life, even though fear is still there, will push you when you had the opportunity to go back. Gideon could have said in that moment, yeah, I'm with y'all. I'm one of the 22,000. I'm going back. But for some reason, he knew I'm just like them. But there is something about that word he spoke over me. I can't shake it. I'm afraid of it, and I'm awed by it. I'm horrified, but I want to glorify him. I don't know what to do with it, but I guess I'm more afraid of running away than not running in. You see, my first sermon was given when my youth pastor had cheated on his wife. I didn't know how to preach, I didn't want to preach. I ran the PowerPoint, I was hiding. I was just going with what I had. God called me to the ministry. He said, tonight you're gonna to speak. I was horrified of speaking, and not only speaking, but speaking to a crowd that just heard that. I called some of my mentors. Thank God they weren't mentors that were afraid. My mentor gave me a sermon, and then after he gave me the sermon on a napkin at Burger King, he said, rip it up. I said, what do you mean? He says, you're not going to use any of that. So I'm going to tell you a story. He said, you're standing on the side of a corner. Two cars collide. Instantly, they burst into flames. No one's there. You don't have a cell phone. He said, what do you do? I said, I start running as fast as I can. What if it blows up bigger? 
He goes, yeah, and as you're running, you hear the screams of a child in the back of one of the cars. He said, what do you do now? I said, turn around and run back at the cars. He said, what if you don't know how to save a kid out of a car? I said, well, my fear of running away would haunt me for the rest of my life. I have to do whatever I can. Because I'm not worried about what if it doesn't. I'm worried about what if it does. And he said, exactly. Tonight when you preach, there will be people that if you don't preach, they will die. They won't make it. They may even take their life. They'll walk away from the faith. He said, the fear of running in has to be greater than the fear of running away. Gideon, God tells him, goes down to your enemy's camp if you're afraid. He said, I want you to hide behind a rock. And him and his buddy went down to the camp. And he said, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to what your enemy has been saying about you your entire life. Because Gideon thought he was the least of the least. But that day, he heard his enemies talking about how powerful he was. You see, people aren't jealous over something that's a nobody. There's no one in this room that, that's jealous over a bag lady. You are jealous of people that have stuff. If you've ever been talked about, if you've ever been lied about, if people have ever spread gossip about you, maybe you should start realizing that that gossip might have been sent to encourage you about what your enemy even sees in you. Maybe we need to start realizing that he doesn't send bulldozers to destroy a weed, that there is power inside of me that is greater than what I see in myself. God says, I want you to listen to the past. Every pain, every situation. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that Gideon got courage. You know how he got through it? He didn't bring a sword. He said a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. All he brought was fire and a trumpet. Passion and worship. He brought two things. That's all he had and that's all he needed. Because when he worshiped and he was passionate about it, God sent a fear in his enemy's camp. And the Bible says that his enemy turned on themselves and they used their own sword against them. When you begin to worship in this room, every time I've been afraid, every time the walls start caving in, I stoke up the fire that's deep inside of me. The passion for what he's called me to. I ask the Holy Ghost to fill me all over again. And I worship. And when I worship, I put weight and honor on the king of the universe. And he jumps in the scale and he tips the scale. And my enemy goes, wow. He must have a secret weapon in his camp because he's worshiping and we're still here. We better just kill ourselves. You see, when you come into this room and you start worshiping, things are already shifting outside this room. Walls are already breaking down from your past, your present, and your future. Rejection is already being destroyed. God is already opening and using you, but he does it through your passion, your fire, and your worship. You know where they got the trumpets? From the 10,000 that left. God's going to take other people's gifts and give it to you if you'll stand in the gap. I didn't have the gift to speak. But somebody obviously said no. All I did was say yes. What are the things that God is waiting to deposit into you 
And somebody else said no. I always ask, God, how many people did you call that do this at L.A.? And they all said no because they looked in the mirror of themselves. But this little man, this remnant said yes. He's going to give you gifts you don't have to do things you can't do. But you have to say yes. If you're in this room and you want to say yes to the call of God in your life, we're going to stir up the fire and we're going to stir up the worship and things are going to start shifting outside this room. There are people in this room that were called to do such great things that you are even afraid to talk about it. You're afraid to announce it. And the enemy's got you comparing yourself to everybody around you, but there is only one you, baby. He showed up to Gideon, not everybody. And he's calling you. He's chosen you to change the things you're frustrated by, to shift this culture, to be the remnant, because this is our time. And if you believe that today, as we sing this song, I want you to picture your seat as your wine press, your place you've been hiding. If you're ready to come out of hiding, Gideon, mighty warrior, if you're ready to live out his blueprint, not theirs, I dare you to leap out of your seat when we start worshiping and do the two things that Gideon did. He turned on the passion for his name and he blew the trumpet, opened his mouth and worshiped the King of glory. And watch what happens tomorrow. If you're ready to truly live, we start singing this song. Thanks for listening to another powerful message from Fearless LA. You can follow what's happening at Fearless by going to fearlessla.com, exploring the app, or looking us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. If you would like prayer, check out the prayer wall in the Fearless app. God bless you.